Hello, everybody. So today is Wednesday, July 31st, and we are bringing you Block Digest 185 at block height 587,934. So what is going on today, Nopara? That's pretty good. I'd like to mention two things. Uh, one, Rick is not going to be with us anymore because he just gave a talk at Google. So he's now too good for the digest. <laughs> just kidding he's gonna be here next time um i i'm actually uh for those who don't know with wasabi we did a contribution game where we give out one bitcoin to the contributors and at the end of that game i had like 200 github notifications and they were just growing and growing and they never wanted to get less uh, and now today I only have like 20 so I feel great uh, about that how are you Janine hello sorry I have too many windows open yes I'm good the heat wave seems to finally have passed so that's good because I don't like summer. Oh, well, and that's because you're crazy. So, yeah, there's that. You know, summer is objectively awesome, and uh, any anybody who doesn't like it obviously is not right in the head. Also, who's looking forward to soon getting back to school nightmares? which we still have after decades. What? what? What's a nightmare? Who's going to oh, school? Right. So, I mean, I, this probably isn't the same experience for everybody, but there is a large portion of the human population uh, in terms of at least the people that start school in the next two months or so that will get these recurrent nightmares around that time of the year because like and this will like for some people it lasts like decades and decades after they've left school but they'll get nightmares about going back to school uh or school related nightmares it's like weird because turns out that a lot of schooling is kind of abusive and stressful what you talking about wills you were you were the abuser, Shinobi. You don't know what it feels like. What? No. <laughs> Alrighty, though. So I guess uh, I don't know. 
Is there anything else we wanted to talk about before we move on into things? No, let's move on into things. Oh, maybe one thing I want to bring up. I just want to thank you, Shinobi, for not asking me to comment about Tether in this episode. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing. Oh, I'm sorry. You shouldn't I, I would that because because I'm I'm gonna ask. You I guys, would also. You guys are gonna talk now <laughs> in place of Rick, or, or, or I'm just gonna be talking the whole day. I would also like to thank Shinobi for agreeing not to continue to pressure me to talk on stories when I have nothing to say. Nope, I made <laughs> no such agreement. Yes, Shinobi, it's really nice of you. Thank you again. It's two against one, so you're clearly on the losing end, Shinobi. Nope, uh, I'm a ninja. I can take on 10 at once. Alrighty. So I guess let's just uh, get right into the first one. Um, these first two stories are going to be uh, money printer related. Uh, Monopoly man, if you will. But first up, uh, Tether has officially launched and is live on Blockstream's Liquid sidechain. So there is now officially a U.S. dollar stable coin functioning on the sidechain. And as more exchanges uh, start rolling out functionality for Liquid in general and other assets on it, this is going to have uh, a lot of consequences for the overall market structure in the ecosystem. Um, I mean, off the bat, now that the, the actual token is live and deposits and withdrawals for Tether on Liquid um, live at Finex, uh, BTSE, BTC Trader, OKX, OKCoin, RenRenBit, and SideShift AI are all um, currently working on enabling USDT um, on Liquid withdrawals and deposits. And, I mean, this kind of just closes the loop for arbitrage. I mean, this is like once this really starts going live and rolling out everywhere, all of the major exchanges that support Liquid and all of the different tokens on it, now including Tether, you have a one minute uh, settlement time as far as moving both fiat and Bitcoin or any other crypto that gets pegged into Liquid between different exchanges for arbitrage. So any exchange that plugs into Liquid to support this should start falling into very tight uh, price correspondence with all the other exchanges that plug into Liquid uh, the more that volume grows. And this should keep the, the price almost exactly in line, uh, minus fees and you know other minimal frictions introduced um, amongst all the exchanges um, using both Tether and Bitcoin on Liquid. And so this is going to have a, a lot of interesting implications for price discovery, just overall liquidity movement. And I think, you know, if, if this really takes off and we start seeing all the big exchanges in the space uh, adopt Liquid for this functionality, as, as well as some of the, the bigger legacy players starting to move in, I, I think that this pretty much addresses all of the major concerns over market manipulation because this pretty much makes effectively all of the exchanges using it one big pool of liquidity and you have to be able to kind of throw around money on all of the order books plugged into that pool to manipulate anything so if, if we get 
the the majority of the Bitcoin market globally plugged into liquid like this, then you would literally need enough money to manipulate all of the exchanges connected to it to even try to manipulate the Bitcoin market. And so structurally, you know, I think this is going to be a very good thing. And as well, it, it also creates the the potential of the having the fiat and crypto side for OTC trades. So now the, the atomic swap tool that Blockstream recently released can be used for OTC trades between Tether and Bitcoin. You know, meaning that this is completely going to change the dynamic between both parties in an OTC trade. Like if, if I trust at least one person to let me withdraw Bitcoin, I can put Bitcoin into liquid with a much more distributed trust model than just one place. If the other person and me trust Tether to redeem our money, they throw Tether in there and it can just be an atomic swap. And all of the counterparty risk is moved towards the, the collection and not the actual settlement of the exchange. So that is, is another huge thing that this can bring towards, you know, maturing and solidifying the structure of these markets. And really to top it all off, like with Green Wallet having support for Liquid and all of the issued assets on it now, you know, this is going to be something pretty easy for everybody to access and given that that wallet has hardware wallet support i mean there's a pretty well-rounded balance of accessibility and security and you know to kind of tack on to this uh blockstream is also working on an asset directory for blockstream info <clears throat> and this kind of goes to one of the design decisions they made, which is all of the assets on the chain don't have unique names. They're just hashes. So you cannot literally make a token that is called Pepe token on the actual blockchain itself. That, that label is simply something put on through the wallet or you know the application layer or would call to some directory like this. And the nice thing about this is that it allows you like there is nothing stopping you from using multiple directories of asset labels and cross-referencing them to make sure like multiple authorities or, or entities out there are actually looking at this hash identifier for a token as w whatever valuable token you think it is and so like the you know, all, all the pieces are really getting dropped out very fast as far as usability and functionality in Liquid. It's just a matter of time for people to actually adopt them. And this is going to start having very serious consequences for just the overall structure and, and you know, robustness of, of the market as a whole. And now, as promised, I'm going to demand a comment out of both you, Janine, and Nopara. You know, among all the tether topics that have ever been on Digest, this might have been the most complicated ones. I, I, I seriously, you make me feel stupid. I, I don't understand. I, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Sorry. I still well, have no interest in tether. That is my comment. Well, no, Para. <clears throat> Let's say there's two exchanges both selling Bitcoin for dollars. 
And on one of them, the price is $100, and the other one, it's $95. Well, <clears throat> that's because they're separate order books, separate pools of money. But the reason that you don't see crazy shit, like one exchange, it's $100, and the other one, it's $100,000, is I'm going to buy Bitcoin on the exchange where it's $95, and send it to the one where it's a hundred and I'm going to sell it because I can make $5 and I'm going to keep doing that until the price comes down from a hundred dollars at the one exchange and goes up from 95 at the other exchange until they're pretty much the same price. <clears throat> that's a natural thing in markets. That's how you keep prices globally in line people are playing the arbitrage and pocketing the difference liquid and more importantly a stable coin like tether being on liquid lets that happen way faster and be way more efficient because it's faster than it would without liquid okay so it's clear up to the point that what liquid does is helps arbitraging but how does tether come in how do you put tether on liquid what, what's going on there? you just issue tether just issues a token like i mean that's what it is like tether ho holds the 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 money and the assets that back it and they just issue tokens i mean that's what it is but it's like, like color coins well it, it's like really anywhere that uses tether it's just on a different platform and i mean <clears throat> this is what i mean when it when it comes to like otc like right now I would send Bitcoin to the OTC desk and they would hold it. Somebody would wire them money to an escrow account and they would hold it. And then they would send the, the money to the appropriate parties. So they, the OTC desk has to have control over like what's, what's going on with the money there with liquid here you change where that trust has to happen it's still there but instead of being you know concentrated where the exchange happens it's where the redemption out of liquid happens so the exchange i trust to let me withdraw my bitcoin from liquid or tether that the other guy has to trust to you know give him the actual dollars back so like there, there's still trust involved, but you move it away from the exchange and uh, and move it towards like getting out of that ecosystem. And so it makes like, you know, just matching those things a lot simpler because you've moved where the risk and the trust is. So is the main idea here is that you take one LBTC, liquid Bitcoin, and let's say you color it, you say, okay, this one liquid Bitcoin, this exactly this liquid Bitcoin worth five tether. And then if you give, if you spend that liquid Bitcoin to someone else, then that five tether will exchange owners or it's different. No, it's just like I have my tether and you have Bitcoin and I want to buy your Bitcoin. And so instead of like both of us sending our money somewhere where they hold it to send it back to us, we just do an atomic swap. 
because we can do that. And so like, we don't have to go trust anybody to have you sell me your Bitcoin now. We just have to trust people to let me get the Bitcoin out and somebody to give you dollars in a bank. You know what I mean? So you cannot do this atomic swap with Bitcoin, but you can do with LBTC. No, you, you can, but it's my point is like, that's not a scalable thing on the main blockchain for one and two it's you want to do that somewhere it's private like you don't want the whole market seeing when that happens you know what i mean like i i don't want anybody to know that i just sold you a hundred thousand bitcoins because they might be scared you're gonna sell it and then dump the market okay okay Okay, let's go to the next other topic then. Mm -hmm. So next up are some developments with the ongoing issue between the New York Attorney General's office and Bitfinex and Tether. And so there is now filed a uh, motion to dismiss the injunction uh, with the court. And Finex's and Tether's attorneys have some pretty interesting um, arguments and analysis of what the attorney general is doing. So based on the filing uh, from Tether and Finex's attorney, uh, what, the, what the attorney general's office is doing is kind of crazy. So first off, um, they violated the statute that they're trying to use um, to justify this junction, even though they haven't actually filed charges. Um, in terms of how they're supposed to serve um, the, the, the people they're going after. So in this case, Bitfinex and Tether. And so the, the initial serving of them was done improperly and in violation of the statute that they're trying to go after uh, Tether and Finex under. So a huge fuck up right there off the bat. Now, the the second one is there they have not filed charges. So like right now like there is absolutely no actual charge against Tether or Bitfinex. There is just the injunction regarding the production of records and the ceasing of any drawing on the line of credit between Tether and Bitfinex. So what the attorney general is arguing is that this current injunction should not be dismissed because they have not filed charges yet. And what's really screwy about this is that it, you have this issue of the injunction, you have the separate issue of charges not yet filed, and you have the issue of jurisdiction. Well, you're supposed to pretty much have to establish jurisdiction in any kind of legal issue first. Like you have to do that in order to even file charges. You have to do that in order to take action prior to filing charges. And they still have not demonstrated 
that they have jurisdiction over Tether, over this issue under the Martin Act. They have not demonstrated that Tether is a security or a commodity under the Martin Act. And they're pretty much just trying to play this weird game where they keep this injunction in place, but have not filed any actual charges and argue that Finex cannot fight the injunction until they have filed charges. And just the, this weird, irrational circle. And then in another instance, um, over the supply of documents, the, there, there is pretty much no precedence or cited um, you know, case law that the attorney general has the authority to even demand documents outside of the United States. Now, th th this is kind of a really, really messy part here, but we have the initial uh, production of documents that they gave to the attorney general's office in relation to the incident going on with crypto capital. This, this was prior to the injunction being filed and is an entirely separate matter. And the attorney general's office is trying to argue that because they complied in a previous matter and supplied documents that they have waived their right to not do so in a completely unrelated matter, which is just mind-boggling nonsense. You know, that's like trying to argue that you answered a cop's question when you were in high school. So when you get in trouble in college, um, you don't have a, a right to remain silent because you, you waived that talking to a cop a few years ago. Like that that's just absolutely, completely fucking absurd. And so pretty much like right now where this, where this is standing is the, the judge is going to have to decide um, or hear a response from the attorney general's office on this, this motion to dismiss. But, you know, I think this is really the clearest yet that Finex's and Tether's attorneys have made that this just how absurd that this whole situation is. Like the, the way the attorney general is trying to put together a case here is just incomplete, like paradoxical contradiction with how the entire legal system is supposed to work at, at places. And it, it's just fucking ridiculous. I mean, it, it's really at the end of the day up in the air where the, this snakes around. But I, I really hope at this point that this judge just dismisses this. And the, the attorney general can go snoop and investigate what, whatever else the hell they want, but not just have this insane open-ended injunction without any real justification, you know, kind of limiting how these businesses operate. And it, it's just ridiculous. And now, once again, comment told Janine and Nopara. Janine, you want to start? <laughs> okay, then I take the lead. So I thank you. For the, thank you for the update, Shinobi. What's going on with Bitcoin Satoshi's vision? Um, okay, no comments, you know, on, on this, this story, on Tether, the attorney general, 
when none of you has any strong opinions whatsoever about an insane government bureaucracy overreaching and fucking with two private companies for no good reason? We don't because Tether is just not an idea, a solution, and I'm not interested in not idea solutions. What do you mean it's not an <laughs> ideal solution? Like it's it absolutely is an ideal solution. It's, it's an arbitrage code. It, it's for arbitrage. Like that's, that's what it's for. Like you two things trade against each other. That's that's what's going on. And like in, until fiat currency completely vanishes and ceases to exist, which is not happening in our lifetimes in all likelihood, that, that this is going to happen. You are pushing me to become to become a Libra fanboy. <laughs> yeah. From now on, tether shit, Libra for the win. Well, that just proves you were never a Bitcoiner in the first place, you pussy ass bitch. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right, so I guess you you fuckers are just gonna make me keep talking to myself. All righty. So July 25th, uh, Bitcoin SV went through a hard fork. And this apparently led to a chain split. And now I do not have a full understanding of what happened here, but I believe that this is, is pretty much a result of uh, an issue with block size where the validity versus different rule sets got a little screwy because of blocks being under or over a block size at specific points. But it, it kind of demonstrated something a, a little more screwy. So um, the split happened and it seemed like the original chain stopped and started progressing. And then BitMEX Research's um, older node um, had another block mined uh, shortly after the, the fork seemed like it went through. And so, you know, this is, I mean, really not that shocking at the end of the day. It, it's the amateur hour shitcoin brigade at, at its finest, and they fuck something up during a hard fork. That's not really that shocking but their upgraded node um so the, the post fork started receiving a lower difficulty um non-verified branch ahead of the main chain for bitcoin sv and it turns out that this blockchain was actually from the BCH network. And so somehow like their new BSV node found itself connecting to peers on the BCH network. And it's just like that, that's just absolutely mind boggling because it's like in order for that to happen, like no network magic bytes were changed. Like no efforts were made to create you know, incompatibilities 
as early as possible in the peer-to-peer protocol. And it's like, that's just mind boggling that the, the, this group of people forked the fork of a fork of a fork and didn't even properly like partition itself code wise so that it would not improperly interact with separate networks or cryptocurrencies. And I mean, it, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's mind boggling that you have not just mobs of internet idiots, like blindly following the con man on this one, but you, you have actual people building companies on this for fuck's sake. And like, this okay. is the, the level of care that these developers give to this. Like it's insane. So Git revolutionized programming back in the old days when someone wanted to copy paste some code and people wanted to break his hands because, you know, if you take someone else's code and you don't understand, then you're going to be in trouble. But now you can just fork it. Forking sounds much better than copy pasting it, <laughs> but you still don't understand what's going on. Uh, I don't know. I, I would have fucked it up it too. I, I don't think I would have be I would be able to to safely fork Bitcoin Core or what did they what did they even fork? They forked BCH, right? Yeah. Yeah. Same 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 almost. It's yeah, it's as as you said, no surprise there. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I mean, it's like anything, anything uh, serious happened because of it. Because if you look at the history of cryptocurrency forking, every time when there was a social social issue and there was a community issue, that's that's when actually forks are happening and living through time. But even there is some 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 technical fuck up, then well, that 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 hurts. People lose money, but it doesn't live through, and it's not gonna live. It's not like people are fighting each other. That hey, uh, my side of the bug is the right side of the bug, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it's just like mind-boggling. I mean. Like there is an actual company employing PhDs working on BSV. And they didn't even change the network magic for this to happen. Like even I know that's something you would need to do. And it's like my experience with programming is I can do a little bit of stuff with Python and have read a little bit about it. Like, just, I mean, just let that sink in. And, like, they're trying to convince people to build, like, enterprise products and software on this. Like, that's crazy. Oh, okay. Think about it this way. What kind of programmer or researcher in his right mind would be working on BSV. Now, someone who actually 
has some expertise and he he no that you can't get those guys those people who come out of university and and they need a job that's 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 what you get or those people who lived under a rock and have no idea what the heck is going on in bitcoin space uh, yeah it's 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 not mind-boggling these these fuck-ups are not mind-boggling they, they are expected no it's mind-boggling also mind-boggling yes just that that kind and magnitude of stupid can exist all right though i guess uh Want to just move along and let us know what's going on with shit Coinbase? Janine, maybe I can get you to talk that way. We'll move on to your story. Okay. Yes, I mean, I told you I could talk about that. Um, so there was an interesting article published back on July 2nd, actually, titled Inside Coinbase's Executive Turmoil, Conflicting Visions, and uh, by the information. And the article is, uh, they say, based on conversations with eight people who have been involved with the company and who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss sensitive information. Um, and probably the reason I didn't see it is because it was only accessible to subscribers on the website, but someone was nice enough to send me a copy of the entire thing. So I was able to read it and it's not too scandalous in terms of the content. Um, but I think it does provide some context to what I think is relevant to delete Coinbase and why Coinbase was so desperate to acquire a company like Neutrino, which if you haven't heard of that yet, there's a whole bunch of episodes on that and I lots of tweets and still stuff happening. So basically this article focuses on a feud between um, Perji and Balaji Sirnavasan um, and under the header conflicting visions in the article, they say that these two, um, their visions for Coinbase quickly clashed with um, each other and uh, so I think it was Sarnavasan who joined a CTO in April 2018, and people familiar with the matter said that um, he arrived at the company after it paid $100 million to acquire his startup, which we know. Um, where is the part? Uh, so at one point, they say that his goal, Balaji's, was to focus on listing as many new cryptocurrencies as possible on, his, on its exchange and building novel products such as staking as a way for customers to generate a return for the cryptocurrency holdings. Um, and so they said Balaji came with a completely different perspective to um, Hershey. And so what I gleaned from that piece of information is, if you remember, um, Brian Armstrong claimed in a statement that he published that the reason they chose Neutrino um, as their blockchain analytics um, acquisition was because they offered the best variety of support for crypto assets. Um, and apparently the source of that goal was Balaji. He was the main person pushing for that. Um, so yeah, good job, 
Balaji, it was your prioritization of multi-asset support that apparently blinded the company into hiring former hacking team upper management. And um, a further update that's happened more recently in the general topic of Coinbase is that um, another executive has uh, is rumored to be leaving soon, um, Tim Wagner, who is their VP of engineering and former Amazon Web Services executive. Uh, he is supposedly leaving as well. So that makes over 10 executives that have left Coinbase in the last year, which is a lot. Uh, and it seems like they just don't get along with each other. Now, that's Woo! interesting. Uh, my initial theory was uh, why they acquired Neutrino was because they're, they, were, they wanted to protect their users uh, from the blockchain analysis companies. So they wanted to keep the blockchain analysis in-house to protect their users. But, uh, well, this goes to the trash now. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the reason they're not emphasizing that anymore is because that that reasoning kind of stemmed from Christine Sandler, who was the lead uh, director of institutional sales. And conveniently, she left about a month after um, she claimed to claim during an interview that the reason they chose Neutrino is because their previous provider had been selling customer data to third parties in violation of their contract. Of course, they have never since brought that up again and Christine Sandler has left. So who knows if we're ever going to find out what the hell happened there. Um, so yeah, that was one line of reasoning that they used that they wanted to protect customers apparently against their own contractors. Uh, but the new line of reasoning um, that was mentioned by Brian in his statement back in February or possibly the beginning of March is that the reason they chose Neutrino was for the multi-asset support. So, yeah. Yeah, they just wanted to extend their draconian chain analysis bullshit thing to, to everything that that they handle <laughs> even things those are not used at all like there is one transaction from coinbase to to crypto and that's for the whole day like <laughs> well i mean like i really don't think it's it's like throw your your siri in the trash no para i mean it could very much be both a need for more support in trying to safeguard customer information. I mean, you know, we kind of have a one-sided view of like a company's attitude towards customer information just because we see so many companies fuck it up so royally, you know, every year and just nothing happens but slaps on the wrist but i mean there still are like legal and monetary liabilities for things like that so it's like it doesn't have to be altruistic in terms of motives for somebody to want to safeguard their customers private data you know what i mean yeah uh, i i know what you mean I think your last sentence was actually different, but what you mean is that, uh, yes, they want to support their blockchain analysis platform, 
with blockchain on this platform, they want to support multiple currencies and they want to protect their customers from their contractors. So it might be both. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing, it doesn't have to be anything altruistic. It's just them doing that because they can get in trouble and have to pay a fine if like something happens to their customer's data. You know what I mean? Yeah, but now if you think about it, does any of it make business sense? I mean, buying out a company is a lot of money. So you probably don't want to pay that much money to protect your customers, nor to to support all kind of cryptocurrencies that you that you don't really need to support legally, I think. But what is going to cost more in the long term, Nopara? Buying the company or every time you go to list an asset, having to wait for some other company to support it and constantly having your business like limited in what it can do by some other business? Maybe they were also, also looked at the possibility of becoming one of the largest blockchain analysis companies. Well, my point is, is if you have it in-house, you know that you can get it done when you want to do something instead of have to wait for somebody else. Sure, but for $20 million, and it's not even a critical functionality, you know? Well, I mean, it kind of is. It's signing for for law enforcement, for regulators. It's, It's nothing else, you know? No, that's my point. That's what kind of is necessary because you do have to appease the government and those regulators that you can do something. Uh, yeah, but the exact same thing happens if you just hire Chainalysis and be done with it. Or maybe Chainalysis was charging so much because of they have so many customers that while well, it doesn't really make sense anymore to pay for chain analysis. Anyway, it can be a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Janine, you got anything more to say on this? Uh, I mean, not really. I would just say that we, we do know how much Coinbase spent to acquire them. And unfortunately, as a result of you know, the uh, the public reaction to that, um, even though they acquired it for, I think it was $13.5 million or something. Um, because of that, if, if we are to believe, Brian, that the hacking team, people who were at Neutrino actually left, we don't actually know that, but let's say we can believe him and they did, well, that's a bunch of, you know, high salary people leaving the company you just acquired and that's going to save you money. So, I mean, as far as I can, as I'm concerned, if you can spend a hundred million dollars acquiring something like earn.com uh, and then you only spend 13 million to acquire a blockchain analytics company, I mean, that doesn't, that seems like pennies to them. 
in the moment you fire core people of the platform, that platform becomes legacy code that no one can ever touch anymore or maybe don't even know how to use. Yeah. All righty then, I guess. Move on. Move on to another interesting topic. <clears throat> Blockchain info, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess we now understand part of the reason why almost three years later, after saying they are SegWit ready, Blockchain Info has still not... Um, integrated segwit they are now launching the pit the fastest crypto exchange in the world on twitter and instagram but apparently um since last july so for the last year they have put together a team of people from the new york stock exchange td ameritrade google goldman sachs ubs interactive brokers and revolut uh to put this exchange together and they are claiming that <clears throat> their matching engine is the only engine in the world to measure their latency in microseconds you can feel the difference when you trade i have that like i can't buy that i don't believe that like i can't believe that like this is a wallet company in javascript in a website that has had more security fuck ups than i can keep track of and they're claiming that they have built the best and most efficient exchange matching engine in the world i call bullshit i call complete bullshit um they have a reliable data center that's a pretty odd thing to feel the need to advertise um when you're running a digital business like this um they they claim that they have deals with institutional liquidity and global market makers to provide constant liquidity for traders at the pit i'm almost guaranteeing that they mean roger has a bunch of bcash that he's going to try to put on here to show bcash that that's that's the plan like watch i, I guarantee you that's the plan. And to really top it all off, they are going to try and get you to tie your pit account to your blockchain info wallet and account. So, woo! <clears throat> How awesome is this? Like, they still three years later haven't integrated the SegWit, but integrated both Ethereum and Bcash. Um, have been working on this for the past year instead of a minor change to their wallet and <clears throat> after their bonanza of trying to convince people to dox themselves to get free stellar um, are now putting together another way to just data mine the shit out of all of their users tying their exchange activity <clears throat> with their actual on-chain wallet in a way where blockchain info sees what is going on with both in complete totality and very likely is also just a backdoor route to try to show bcash and get people using bcash for stupid shit. yeah 
So, the, hold on, real, real quick, no fire. The 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 pairs they they're pretty much going to be uh, trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bcash, Litecoin, Pax, and Tether uh, against the USD, Euro, um, a few BTC pairs, um, Pax pairs, and Tether pairs. And yeah, it's going to be awesome, guys. <clears throat> Everybody should drop Cash App and get on the pit, yo. So if I go on Blockchain Info site and I look products and there is something like Blockchain Markets, it also says Institutional Portal. Is this the product that you're talking about right now? No, it's uh the pit, uh, pit.blockchain.com. It's a, like an actual order book exchange. Okay, so it's it's not there yet. But my point would have been that Blockchain Info is a very old and very well-established company, but it doesn't really make any money. I mean, it had a had a block explorer, which was great at the time because it worked and that's all we were able to ask from a block explorer back then <laughs> and the wallet well, it worked too uh, i didn't like the new design and never even used it uh, since they changed but but my point is they they did not make any money and they survived i don't know seven years or a lot uh how were they able to do this uh probably sucking on institutional money and roger's money okay but now they at least came up with something that makes money and makes them sustainable so you really can't blame them yeah i can <clears throat> this company is an incompetent malicious shit show of just epic proportions and i mean it, it's ridiculous and there's a very easy way for them to make money data mine the fuck out of you yeah that's uh that's a proven business model too but, i mean like th this exchange is going to be a disaster put together by some of the most incompetent people in the space and Roger's going to try and use it to show Bcash like that that's pretty much the the TLDR here I think I don't know it's just another exchange for me but I don't know if it would be a disaster or not I mean it just it 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 certainly has the liquidity and the starting user base that an exchange needs uh and also the regulatory suck up to to every regulator that's out there with their blockchain alliance so so they they have well, good chances of 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 launching an exchange think about what's happening here no <clears throat> like this is an exchange that also runs an actual on-chain light wallet 
where they see everything that happens with all of your addresses. And 99.9999999% of people just log in from their home or phone IP address. And all of that gets correlated with your exchange account. <clears throat> they are building a platform where literally every single thing that every single user of both of these things does on and off ramps and on chain is completely tagged and tracked by blockchain that's but, what this platform is going to be but you're just describing the business as usual at every other exchange you know it's it's no, no different. it's not it's no, not and that's better every every other exchange does not link an actual on-chain web wallet that gets tied to your fucking exchange account to actually use bitcoin like peer-to-peer other exchanges do not do that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I'm not sure how much that matters, but I will think about it. Uh, do we have anything else to say about this or should I move on? Um, unless Janine has something, I'm fine. All right, so know your customer. There was a Reddit post lately on our Bitcoin about let's discuss know your customer. I believe the current know your customer standards put everyone who has submitted their identification at significant risk of physical and or cyber attacks. This is just your usual reminder of uh, of how fucked up this whole know your customer thing is. What I really wanted to do with this. It's just it. It was really for me just an excuse to to share with you a new insight that I just recently gained about uh, know your customer EML regulations. That how fucked up they are. So if you think about it, exchanges have complete leverage on you. They hold your money. You are their bitch. They hold your money and they may or may not give it to you. Now, these exchanges are the ones who the regulators want them to also know your customer, their users. So not only hold their money, but also hold their privacy information, which makes no sense. Normal wallet companies should be know your customers <laughs> because the the leverage because they don't have the leverage they shouldn't be know your customer either. But but my point is that that why these exchanges why the custodial services uh, just get more power over their customers why they they have enough with these know your customer regulations they just 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 get way more power and. This this really makes no sense, you know. Hawk hawk. Well, it's it's clown world, Nopara. Nothing is supposed to make sense. It's clown world. Well, what do you want to to prevent there? You want to prevent terrorists and pedophiles. So if that's your goal. 
then what you do is to go every Bitcoin wallet company, uh, go to GitHub, go to to any place that hosts Bitcoin Core and make them know your customer, their users, right? <laughs> that's the that's the ultimate thing. But with this, you not only don't prevent anything that doesn't even isn't even a threat really if you're looking at the statistics uh, terrorist attacks and 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 and, and what has uh, other kind of attacks doesn't even compare to the number of heart attacks or something like that some some disease but well you should be fighting against so well, I mean, my point is that they are grabbing the wrong. They are grabbing the wrong actors, those actors who already have the power over their users, and give them more power. Uh, they shouldn't grab any actors, but if they grab actors, then it shouldn't be those exchanges. Yeah. Well, I mean, I th I don't know. I I have a. All right, this is probably going to become a big tangent, but I have a very different theory as to why a lot of these laws and structures exist no part. It has nothing to do with protecting people from terrorists. I mean, just like think about how the economy works. Like you have the Fed setting interest rates and acting as a lender of last resort you have banks that have accounts with the fed those banks offer credit to consumers and take deposits for them and then everything floods out into the world and buy shit well the fed is trying to target interest rates to target like price inflation of certain things well, imagine how good they could be at that if they didn't know how much money was out there, where it was, where it was circulating, like tax it, tag it. How could they do that if they didn't know where all the money was being laundered? Like how, how could they do that if they didn't know where all of the money that floods out into the black market goes and where it comes back? into the economy where it can affect things like you know price inflation the, the the cpi index like that's that's why i think you see so many huge banks constantly get caught laundering money like all of this shit has to work like this because if it doesn't you don't know where that money comes back into the economy. You don't know how much of it. You don't know how that's going to affect everything on the large scale. And so when you have a money system set up like this, where you have these, these central banks, you know, setting interest rates, acting as the lender of last resorts, like fiddling with these dials on the economy, it doesn't work if everything floods out into the black markets and you don't know where it is and what it's doing. I I see what you mean. Uh, so, so this is a stupid regulation, but even a stupider 
application of this regulation because quite honestly if we really want to be honest why they don't go to bitcoin wallet companies or software writers because we could know your customer or your all our users uh, we could do that in theory they just don't know that we could do that so because we don't hold their money so for some reason they think we don't have any well, you know what <laughs> you don't I'll have just, i'll just download the, the code before you did that and run that. Yeah, uh, we would lose our customers, that's for sure. Uh, I'm just saying that. Anyway, if if you don't have any any other comment to this, I just want to reiterate what he what he was uh, saying. It's 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 the basic stuff that uh, while you well in Hungary. I go into a bank, I show one thing of who I am and they open me a bank account. Now compared to this um, shady crypto exchange in Hong Kong requires a bunch of documents and screenshots and send them to that and insecure platforms. And there is a huge disconnect that wait i have to share so many things with this company that i don't know anything about now and okay i share them and then they get hacked or just sell this data because i have no idea who they are or what they are doing and then my data is leaked so so this was his his argument which which is the oldest argument in the book uh, i just just wanted to mention and not 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 talk about it all about this uh, reddit post yeah uh, all right do you guys have any comment on this or should we move on to the next topic kyc is stupid come on Jenny. nothing What? Cricket. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Shinobi brains wesh stratum vit. Okay, you're gonna pronounce it. Go ahead. Woo! So um people have been wondering what's gonna happen with better hash since uh Macarello first proposed it. Well then brains the uh slush related company working on mining firmware uh is giving us an answer so they are working on a full stack now um which is going to take their uh brains operating system the the hardware firmware for the miner plug that into uh bos miner a replacement for CG miner, the software that actually connects to the pool through stratum and divvies up work uh, to chips on the hardware. And then also are working on stratum version two, a upgraded version of the mining protocol. So this is uh, pretty fucking awesome. 
Um, so also uh, some, so let's pretty much just run through the, the, the TLDR points on their site. Um, some messages in the protocol are going to be cryptographically signed by the pool amount so that anything uh, critical can actually be authenticated um, that it actually came from the mining pool. As well, everything is written in Rust. So they've actually also moved all of the data formatting to complete binary uh, to save a little bit of bandwidth. So about two to three times uh, savings versus the original version of Stratum, which also improves efficiency and so should reduce some stale shares and be a little more profitable for miners. Um, it's also being built uh, to kind of be flexible and, and extensible so that things can just work like they do now, or you can actually plug into bum, 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 better hash, which is going to be supported uh, in Stratum version 2 so that you can still mine with the pool, but do all of your own transaction selection for the blocks you're mining yourself. And so you know, this is actually pretty fucking awesome. Like, you know, Brains kind of came out of nowhere uh, some months ago with the Brains OS uh, mining firmware, which I think was a hugely important thing given, you know, really the, the huge uh, attack exposure for mining infrastructure that, that exists at different abstraction levels. You know, it, it's a pretty enormous attack surface and i don't think people really realize that unless they have at least a pretty decent technical understanding but you know brains is now rolling out everything from the actual hardware uh firmware to the thing negotiating between the hardware and the pool through stratum and a new version of the stratum protocol that supports better hash so that they are pretty much locking down all the software uh, integral in the mining ecosystem um, in a completely open source stack that the whole way through is designed to support user control, uh, decentralization, and most importantly, with the better hash support in Stratum version two, uh, censorship resistance. And so this is pretty awesome and i expect as this comes out of you know the the testing phase uh slush will probably be the first pool to adopt this and i really hope after we see this you know get out of that phase and out there up and running on slush that we see a lot more mining pools adopt this because this this would be just incredible in the long term for the robustness of the mining ecosystem on every level possible Didn't Slash came up with the Stratum protocol in the first place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, Electrum is using that too. I wonder about the V2. Is it for wallet users too, or it's really just mining specific? Um, it, It's just mining specific. It's for like distributing and... um like tracking work between hashers and the actual pool. Yeah, specialization, nice. Oh, also, 
Rust. I heard Rust there. Rust is getting. I, I hear hear about Rust more and more. It's getting more and more popular. I wonder if I should look at it. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I see more and more people in the space looking at it, and I mean, that's you know, especially dealing with cryptography shit. I mean, I think the idea of a, a, a low-level language like that designed to be memory safe sounds like a fucking awesome idea. Like, yourself as much as possible from fuck-ups and foot bullets. Oh, a language is designed to be memory safe except C and C++. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the bit... bit Oh, but what's that? Bitcoin Core C and the Blockstream Lightning Network C. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, what I see, I don't know if it's true trend or not, but I think the Java developers are actually moving on to Rust. That's what I notice here and there. Yeah. C, C sharp devs are pretty good with .NET Core now. Yeah. That would be nice to see if a lot of momentum pushed that way and maybe Android started, you know, moving towards a lot more support for Rust. I guess so. I still didn't look into Rust, but yeah, yeah, sure. Jenny, do you want mining. to talk about mining, Janine? Come on. No, no, no. Talk about Rust, Janine. <laughs> <laughs> I would honestly rather talk about Rust. Um, yes, more Rust. Rustic. Rustic. Yeah, the the I might get familiar with Rust because the only Bitcoin Lightning Network library, you know, library that every implementation is actually a node implementation. So you cannot really play around with LND or C Lightning. But the library, what Matt Corello and Bloomer Tomás are building, are actually built in Rust. So I might have to write some C sharp bindings to it. Uh, yeah, so Rust everywhere. Uh, oh, and that's the reason. Any more comments on Bring OS uh, and their Stratum version too? Yes, that's the reason why it's written in Rust because Matt Corello was doing better hash, and Matt Corello changed to Rust. Yeah, okay, things start to make sense now. Now go on to the next topic. All right, most succinct transfer yet. Janine, what's going on? Somebody's being an asshole. Who is it? Yeah, the title of this story section is called The IRS Are Assholes because, um, I mean, I shouldn't need to tell you that, but if you remember, uh, we talked about uh, this issue in episode 177 and 183 where the IRS has very obviously failed to produce updated and clear guidance on key issues um, regarding tax obligations for cryptocurrency users in the United States. And according to a large FOIA response, they have known about these issues and that they have not adequately addressed them 
since 2014. So uh, Congress actually sent a letter to the IRS saying, please provide more guidance. The IRS responded saying, we will provide guidance. I think they, they self-imposed a date for when they would give that guidance. They are now, I think, over two months past that due date that they gave themselves, which, you know, that kind of behavior would not be acceptable if you were a taxpayer and, you know, had to file your taxes, they would not accept, they would not accept that late due date. So I'm not going to accept it either. So the, um, the IRS has recently decided to transform themselves into an even bigger asshole by sending audit letters to at least 10,000 individuals um, and according to the Wall Street Journal, the letters warn about penalties for failing to report income and pay tax on transactions involving virtual currencies. Uh, furthermore, the agency expects its mailing to be completed by the end of August. It is sending three variations of one letter depending on the information it has about the recipient. They say taxpayers should take these letters very seriously. The IRS is expanding efforts involving virtual currency, including increasing uh, the use of data analytics. Uh, which, by the way, we know that the three uh, chain analytics companies that are most likely contributing to this are chain analysis and one second, let me check because I actually have a table of this. Um, the three companies most likely co contributing to this are chain analysis, elliptic, and cipher trace. Um, in fact, those are the same companies that are also. Uh, directly involved with U.S. intelligence agencies as well. So yeah, good chances there. And so um, an IRS spokesperson declined to say whether the letters stem from information turned over by Coinbase back in um, 2018 when they were, uh, they were forced to provide data under a federal court order um, and they gave information about 13,000 accounts um, so that, you know, that seems very close, 13,000, 10,000. Most likely, they probably got information from Coinbase, like, why not? And um, obviously, there's a bunch of cryptocurrency users in the U.S. who haven't received this letter, so they don't seem to have tried very hard. Uh, continued, one version of the letter recently uploaded to the IRS website asked recipients who believe they have followed the law to sign a statement declaring under penalty of perjury that they are in compliance with tax rules. It also notes that, that the recipient should understand that the IRS may be in touch with them. So naturally, Coin Center has been um, paying attention to, to this because they were, um, I believe, also helping Congress to draft a letter to send to the IRS or at least publishing information about that. And senior researcher James Faust says that on May 16th, the IRS acknowledged that taxpayers don't have clarity on basic issues related to the taxation of virtual currency transactions um, today, as in when this was first, uh, you know, people were made aware of it, which I think was like a week or two ago. They sent letters to more than 10,000 cryptocurrency users they suspect did not report their crypto transactions properly. And therefore, the IRS is basically asking people to certify under penalty of perjury that they have correctly followed rules that the IRS hasn't bothered to publish yet. Yeah, so these, in summary, these assholes are requiring people to make a declaration that they're in compliance with tax rules that even the IRS itself admits are unclear and need more work. So unfortunately, uh, these assholes have the power to put you in jail if you displease them. 
So if you are a person who is working in the United States and are not sure whether you have properly complied, hint, you probably haven't and never will, uh, that's the way they get you. You should talk to a tax accountant and maybe even a tax attorney about what you can do to protect yourself against their assholery should they try to punish you and others for failure to comply with outdated and confusing rules that they don't even understand themselves. I just had a really nightmarish realization here. What is that? Have Coinbase customers paid taxes on the Bitcoin they're charged for withdrawing from Coinbase? Have um, a single Bitcoin user paid capital gains for their transaction fee to miners when they're spending? Did, didn't you hear Janine? It's not clear. <laughs> the, well, no, my I, point is, it is very okay. clear, Nopar. Spending or selling for cash are the exact same taxable event. So when I withdraw from Coinbase and they charge me a withdrawal fee, I'm spending Bitcoin. When I move Bitcoin on the network and I pay fee, I'm spending Bitcoin. That is, strictly speaking, technically a taxable event. Um, I don't remember. I don't really anal about it. I mean, I'm not. Sh- that's something like specifically the minor paying the minor fee. I think they. I don't know if it was in the United States. It might have been, but I remember us talking about this before, where someone. I don't know if it was in the United States, but someone said that they wouldn't consider minor fees to be a transaction in and of itself they would just consider it to be a service fee and so they would only like a service fee that you would you know you don't pay capital gains on the the you know transfer fee when you use paypal or something like that so i think you need a guidance for that yeah so whatever either way you're going to need guidance no i'm absolutely not sure about anything that's why these that's why these people are assholes (laughs) this could be potentially a nightmare like literally like this could be a nightmare like the irs could go full retard and decide that transaction fees are like a a spending event therefore a tax event what makes you think the irs hasn't gone full retard Because they're they already going that full retard. That's why, because they haven't done that yet. I mean, I don't know. I consider I would consider it pretty stupid for the IRS to be like, "Hey, we have a deadline to produce guidance. You know, what we should do now. We should send a letter that scares ten thousand people around." No, that's the exactly what they should do <laughs> from their point of view. They should fucking wreck everybody for as much money as they can before they fucking do anything. Because I'm pretty sure when the IRS changes something it's retroactive so they have to like go after people and hit them for money now before they make any kind of guidance that makes sense or is logical otherwise that rolls back retroactively but look at the situation from the point of view of irs right the irs is a large company the irs is a large company have multiple departments and some departments are more effective than other departments. So think about it. They have a very, very effective enforcement department, but they're 
guidance and clarity department is a little bit lagging behind, right? <laughs> so you can't blame them. <laughs> I mean, no, look, they're, 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 the IRS is basically the one company in this country that if you don't pay them, you literally get put in jail and like, there's no way to like, you have Wait, to deal what? with them. Wait, what? I tried to make a joke what? in my Hold life. On. Even that didn't work. I mean, look, you know, we can go. We can go into the whole history of how the IRS came about and what its legal structure is, no, and whether you actually have like obligations. That but specific sentence: If you owe any corporation money and you don't give it to them, you can wind up in jail. No, but the, this is this is this company. You owe them just by existing and like living and earning money, which is not the case for any other company in in the United States or elsewhere. Okay, I think we should move on because clearly you're not understanding the argument. Let's go. No. <laughs> let's, sell, let's sell weapons. Two against one. Let's sell weapons. Or sell, can sell weapons? Anyway. Okay, all right. I make no vouching for the authenticity of this story. It seems to be legit and points two legitimate looking Russian sources, but purportedly uh, Soyuz Mosh, which seems to be like a machinist union that works on both uh, civilian and uh, military vehicles, um, is trying to convince the Central Bank of Russia to let them accept cryptocurrency payments for international arms dealers to try to run around sanctions. And so th this is something that the vice president of this organization has personally like sat down and talked to with the chief of the, the Russian central bank. And it, he, he's pretty much uh, intentionally trying to pitch Bitcoin, but is also prepared to deal with things like stable coins backed by gold or other assets, but is mainly, you know, the, the, the core of this request is we want to accept these assets to get around sanctions um, <laughs> to sell military vehicles internationally. So like just step back and think for a second, a superpower on Earth <laughs> has a, a machinist union that builds military shit asking the central bank, let us get paid in Bitcoin for selling jets and tanks. Like that is a thing that seems to actually be happening on this planet right now. Like, come on, no part, Janine, you guys have no reaction to that? I mean, my reaction to anything with 
the word Russia or Russian for the past four, three years has been, oh, please, I don't even want to look at this because it's just the amount of work that it takes to like make sure it's not full of bullshit is just so exhausting. <laughs> We are descending. Like, any, like it's not anything about this particular story, just anything to do with Russia in the English language is like it's just too much work to look through it. Because it's so politicized right now. International weapons sales in Bitcoin. Yeah, we have no idea if that's true or not. If Forklock starts writing about it now, I might consider. Dude, like there again, like I don't really have any basis to judge the legitimacy of Russian sites, but there are actual Russian news sites that have been up for quite a while that are talking about this. Okay, so let's assume it's true. Now, is this a good or bad thing? I don't know. That's a very sticky issue that depends entirely on who gets those weapons and what they get used for. I mean, are we talking about the morality of selling weapons, which is something that the U.S. does way more than any other country <laughs> and uses them for nefarious purposes all the time? Like, I mean, I'm not going to pass judgment on russia for doing something that there's a whole bunch of other countries condemning them when they do the exact same thing so tanks and jets bought with bitcoin i mean like <laughs> bitcoin not bombs are you sure it was weapons very numbers. Yeah, like, <laughs> yes, but like this is like <laughs> Wall Street is trying to trade Bitcoin on major exchanges. The Fed is nonchalantly talking about Bitcoin becoming just another currency used in the U.S. Russia is or entities within Russia are trying to get permission to sell military vehicles for Bitcoin. Like, I, I'm sorry. I just, I, I really, like, now that the details are done, I'm just stuck in a state of mind it is exploded. Like, this is only 10 years old. Oh my God, come on. You guys have nothing to say. Nothing at all. I don't know, man. I was living in countries where there were always peace and strict gun control. So it just, just, just these things are not in the, not in the public conversation. And I'm not well versed on what I had to do with weapons or what I had not to do. No, you, you, your mind is just not blown. 
your mind is not just blown that this is happening. Then no, uh, because you're no. not convinced, right? Big, you guys have country. lost your sense of joy and wonder about the world. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not particularly fascinated. I mean, look, look, people are going to use money for things. Like, yeah, that's going to happen. And also, obviously, like the the automatic. If this is true, the automatic response from the U.S. would just be to figure out which Bitcoin addresses they're using and then put them on the OFAC list, which is going to be hilarious because we know that that doesn't do shit. So it's just a stupid game. What's that? What's that I heard? Huh? Mix, mix, mix. Mix, mix, mix. Mix your Bitcoin. Mix your Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How about we move on to Jennings' issue with HTTPS blocking in Kazakhstan? Yeah, so this isn't, uh, it's not really a Bitcoin story, but I think it's going to be really important because um, basically a few weeks ago it was reported that the government of Kazakhstan had announced that they would be intercepting all HTTPS internet traffic within its own borders. And according to ZDNet, um, they will be requiring internet service providers to force their respective users into installing a government-issued certificate on all devices and in every browser, which means that the local government agencies, um, whoever's holding the certificate, will then be able to decrypt their HTTPS traffic, look at content, and then encrypt it again with their certificate and then send it on to its destination so that there's no no or little interruption for the users. And the reason I want to include this story is um, because obviously if this is, so originally this was only going to happen, I think in the capital city, but then users across Kazakhstan were saying that they were having trouble using the internet without going to a specific web page where they downloaded the certificate and started using it in their browsers and devices and stuff. So that basically means that, I mean, I don't know what the Bitcoin community is like in Kazakhstan, but this will severely impact their ability um, I haven't checked. Does anyone know actually what the status of Bitcoin is in is in Kazakhstan at the moment? I don't think it's in glorious Kazakhstan. Bitcoin is not legal. It isn't. Okay. Uh, well, I, I have no clue. I should check that. But anyway, um, I'll check that later and update. So, um, I mean, besides Bitcoin, this will also severely impact the ability for journalists to operate in the, I mean, like a whole thing, a whole bunch of stuff will be affected. Anything that the government would want to surveil or target is going to be affected if you're basically forced at, you know, you basically can't use any of the ISPs um, unless you use the certificate. And there's a really excellent documentary that illustrates like the state of you know, media media freedom in places like Kazakhstan um, called Mediastan, which is a documentary about a team of journalists who drove around Central Asia trying to 
collaborate with local uh, journalists and media outlets in the area before the publication of Cablegate um, several years ago. And it's really fascinating because it counters this popular smear about WikiLeaks that they didn't put any effort into establishing an understanding of the documents that they were going to publish and that they didn't try to involve a diverse team of people to you know, understand that context. They clearly did. And it's a really good documentary. Um, and as you, if you watch it, you'll see that every place that these people went, they met this brick wall. And there was even a uh, Kazakh media outlet who literally, you know, when they first met up with them, they were really enthusiastic about it. They're like, yeah, this is excellent material. And then by the end of their meeting, he basically said, no, we can't publish these documents because uh, we get funding from the US State Department. And it's like, what? It was like a tiny, tiny outlet in Kazakhstan. And they, they weren't able to publish documents that were relevant to their country because they were being funded by the State Department. So it was a really interesting documentary. And um, obviously Kazakhstan doesn't show up in the news a lot because it's, it just doesn't. And, uh, but I think with this story, I'm just hoping that other governments uh, do not catch on to this strategy or idea for destroying the privacy of their citizens, because there has been renewed uh, claims, uh, including in the US about requiring golden key backdoors, blah, blah, blah. And even Michael Hayden, uh, the former, um, he was the former director of NSA, does not even agree with that anymore, which is hilarious because he is famous for saying that, you know, we kill people with metadata. Um, so yeah, that conversation is happening again. So I really hope that other countries do not see this happening and be like, yeah, we should do that because that would be really awful. We have updates. Legality of Bitcoin in glorious Kazakhstan is not clear. <laughs> okay. Borat jokes aside, it's it's actually it's it's terrible. Uh, e even yeah. China is not doing this. So yeah, I just actually looked at it looked it up, and even China isn't isn't blocking HTTPS and can't decrypt it or. I don't know, maybe in some other ways or all their all their things inside China. So the endpoints are inside China so they can do whatever they want, but they don't they don't block it. They don't block it, they they can't decrypt it if it's from another country. It's it's just breaking the whole internet concept. It, there is no way this thing would be spreading to other countries. And how do you even enforce that? Like, um, it's simple, like, Nopara. You just block HTTPS completely to anybody who has not installed your certificate. But, but mean, it's not blocking, right? It's No, but I'm saying it could. You could just, you block all HTTPS until we get you to install the certificate and forward it to you with that. But, like, this I mean, is, like... That's yeah, that's like th that's basically what they're doing because they're enforcing it in the I at the ISP level, and the, none of the ISPs, as far as I've seen, are fighting back against it at this point. Yeah, I mean, like this they is were in 2015, but not not this time. This is what like all governments 
would want to do it with the internet if they could get away with it. Like, it is the biggest fucking X variable, like, thorn in their side that they could imagine. But can they get away with it? Like, not all of them can. But they would like to. I mean, like, this this same kind of, of shit is happening here in America. It's just instead of being at the ISP or the, the pipeline layer, for us, it's happening at the services layer with all of the shit going on with things like YouTube and, and Facebook and other social media. But it very easily could go like down to the pipelines like this. Like that could happen. And I mean, ultimately it's like people need to realize like there is kind of a war going on for the internet. And, like, that's not a joke or melodramatic. Like, governments want to stamp it down because they don't like this degree of free flow of information and the ability to communicate and coordinate. They don't like it. It it makes it really hard to control things. And, like, you have to start actually, like, acknowledging that and thinking about how to solve that. Like how, how do you, like we're dealing in, in America in the West with services layers. So like, okay, how do we replace that? You build a service like BitChute using BitTorrent to move videos around or IPFS to like put up a, a website in a way that's a lot harder to take down. Like you can do that. How, how do you solve something like what's going on in Kazakhstan? Like, there's literally nothing you can do except try to bypass that with something like a satellite or, like, build mesh networks and plug into higher-level networks and route around ISPs. But, like, you know, this this is something happening globally to a differing degree everywhere, and it's going to keep getting worse everywhere. Okay, let's close this topic with the with the last Borat joke and Borat impression from Shinobi, and then move on to an even sad, said there, more sad topic. What is glorious Kazakhstan not worthy of more discussion? <laughs> well, in the similar vein of uh, you know censorship uh, stuff happening. Um, By now, a lot of you have probably heard that GitHub has placed some restrictions on the accounts of uh, people that they believe are Iranian users, Iranian residents, um, not just users based in Iran, but also Iranian nationals living elsewhere in the world. Uh, I'll get to that later, but how, like how they, who they're choosing to block. But since July 25th, an Iranian developer named Hamad has been writing a Medium post detailing some changes to GitHub's supposed compliance with U.S. sanctions against Iran and uh, their compliance team. Oh, it's not really clear who was involved in that or what, where the hell they got this conclusion from. But apparently they believe that they must no longer allow Iranian users to create user export their own private repositories regardless of the content. So they're claiming that this only affects private repositories, not public ones. But um, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. Like I kid you not in their terms of service regarding complying with US export controls and sanctions, they 
uh, and this is what they reference in relation to this issue, um, they say the following. I'm going to read an excerpt from that because it's pretty insane. So they say, GitHub.com may not be used for purposes prohibited under applicable export control laws, including purposes related to the development, production, or use of nuclear, biological, or chemical weapons, or long-range missiles, or unmanned aerial vehicles. So they are referencing this because, I don't know, this is their justification. They think that their Iranian users are developing nuclear weapons on GitHub. Okay, um, interesting. <laughs> uh, and he person who is doing that, you are the biggest idiot on the planet, but uh, the CEO of GitHub, uh, Nat, I don't know, I think it's Friedman, but it's spelled like Friedman, so I'm going to call him Friedman. Um, he claimed that the restrictions were only based on residency, not nationality, but it was quickly found that in practice, people who were of Iranian nationality, but were not living in the country of Iran. Uh, there was one person saying that they lived in Finland. Um, they were being blocked or restricted in the same way. And so I want to note that prior to this decision by GitHub, there had actually been a clarification from OFAC that certain software companies and services that were providing personal communications would not be, uh, they would be exempt from the conditions of these, the sanctions, whatever they may be. And also when there was an incident with Slack trying to implement a similar policy a while back based on this similar misconception, um, not allowing user accounts to disable or not allowing user accounts that they disable to back up their data, they apologized for it. Um, and I further want to note that GitLab uh, was doing a similar thing before this, and they dealt with the issue entirely differently. They not only informed users beforehand that their accounts might be affected, but they also did not disable any repository, and they did not prevent those users from exporting their own data, regardless of whether the repository was public or private. And that just seems like basic damn courtesy. So now GitHub is claiming public repos aren't affected, private ones are, but who the fuck would really trust them at this point? So just in case anyone's wondering, um, this is still a relevant Bitcoin story because Vladimir uh, Vandalon tweeted to remind everyone that the Bitcoin repositories are mirrored on Onion services. And so they will remain accessible to everyone regardless of their national origin or residence or whatever discrimination detail we want to use to target people. And so the developer that I mentioned, Hamad, who's been probably the most active in highlighting this issue. He since published a second medium post about quote, legalized discrimination and systematic online segregation to achieve political goals using US tech companies. And so he's been adding a lot of updates since I um, looked at the story and uh, some of the restrictions have changed on the accounts and he's detailed that. So you should probably read both of those posts and. I assume that there's going to be further updates in the next couple of weeks about this because it attracted a lot of attention. GitHub always had this, had this, anything on GitHub, anything about GitHub, either great or terrible. GitHub hosts almost all the open source, most of the open source 
projects in the world and GitHub is not open source. Huh. Okay, GitHub made Git user-friendly, but GitHub is still not user-friendly. <laughs> so th th there are so many things about GitHub that don't make sense. They 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 launched in, in 2000, I don't know, one, and they did not improve. They barely improved anything uh, for a lot of years. And then Microsoft purchased them, and Microsoft improved a lot of things about GitHub. That's that's really great. But then this and private oh, repository right <laughs> <laughs> about private and public repositories. I mean, as far as I understand what you just said, it's about users. So it's not about private and public repositories. If you block a user, then it affects uh, his not being able to work uh, on the public or private repositories. So I'm not sure how cool, bro. Well, somebody so just took I... up a relay bot that'll post to random repositories with shit from approved countries. So when I say blocked, I mean, because I, I was saying restricted and blocked, what I mean by blocked is that some of the functionality that a, a regular GitHub user would have was not functioning, including the ability to export repositories um, to make to delete repositories also um, and things like that. So they were blocked in the sense that functionality was not available to them anymore. Um, they were still able to log into their accounts and everything. But as he talks more about in the second Medium post, um, what, what was just the only difference in terms of like their navigation of the site is that there was this giant yellow square at the top of the page that said due to compliance with blah, 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 export control, sanctions, and blah. So it was this giant warning yellow box that at first they were not even able to like click it away. It would just be there the entire time they were using GitHub, like reminding them of like, oh, sorry, you were born in the wrong country, buddy. Um, and they've since added the ability to, you know, get rid of the box. It doesn't pop up all the time. It's not persistent. Um, but so there, as far as I know, I haven't heard of any accounts being shut down or anything like that. So when I say blocked, I don't mean shut down. I just mean that functionality has been disabled in terms of like the repos that you're able to create or export or delete. Oh, so you're giving you're material aid to a foreigner we don't like in educating <laughs> themselves. You may, be, you, may be, you may be facilitating the creation of nuclear weapons <laughs> on GitHub. Like, like it's just so hilarious to read that because if you know anything about how, like, I mean, at least in the United States, how like nuclear codes and stuff is handled, like they're on floppy disks using a whole bunch of outdated technology. Like the idea that it would be on GitHub is like, that's insane. I don't know, man. GitHub is a huge technological advantage if you want to develop nuclear weapons on them. Yeah, but this is the problem I have with it. So if they claim that that is like, so that was the reason for the sanctions 
and they're complying with the sanctions and they say that GitHub may not be used for this and there's like a risk that it may be used for that if people from Iran can use GitHub, then it makes no sense to make a, make a categorical distinction between how they restrict public repos versus private repos because I mean, your repo is private in the sense that it's not publicly available, but obviously GitHub can see inside your private repo. So are they worried that the nuclear stuff is going to be hidden inside the private repos, but if it's a public repo, then well, we can see it. Like, it makes no sense. Like if they're actually worried about that, they should just, they, they should just block both. It just doesn't make sense. Well, you could say they are, they don't really want to review that what the heck is going on i mean i go on a bunch of github projects and spend 10 minutes and still can't figure out what the heck this thing is doing but yeah you are you are right uh it's it it, it makes no sense git github github knows what's going on inside the private repos so that's that's about it Microsoft is racist. You're a fanboy of racists. That means you're a racist white Nazi, Nopara. You're a racist white Nazi. I mean, I don't I don't want to downplay the argument that he makes because I mean, I feel like stuff like this is going to and it's not necessarily going to be just against people from Iran or you know, certain nationalities, it could be something else. And we should expect these kinds of tactics to be used, whether it's, you know, being forced on them by the US government, or it's something they opt into themselves, like this is something that could happen, and probably is happening, but we're just not seeing it that much yet. So yeah, so last moral dilemma before we move on to the final thoughts. Uh, so do you think github should be completely neutral and let all kind of viruses to be developed on github public repositories by anonymous actors is that is that what you think because that's what neutrality means uh I yeah. mean there, there's a difference between what i think they should do in terms of what what I would prefer them to do and what I think they're obligated to do under the law. Like there's a difference between what I think they should do just based on common decency and, you know, what they have to do as a service or don't have to do as a service, like informing your users that like they're, they're making this claim that the reason they didn't inform the, the accounts that were affected that they were going to do this is because they're not allowed to inform them, which is, just, I don't know what their compliance team is thinking, but that doesn't make sense because if that was the case, that means GitHub did something illegal by informing their users like GitLab. GitLab. Yeah, sorry. Like GitLab did it, so you should be okay to do it too. Like the only reason you didn't do it is because you didn't consider this change to be a big enough deal for you to consider how it would impact your users. And that's not something that they should be doing. That just seems like assholery. 
They should just give the government omnipotent access to all private repos and then just tell them it's your problem. Also, there is nothing stopping them from being very specific about which laws and rules they are complying with, which they have not done. Like they're they're generally saying we are complying with U.S. export controls and sanctions, but then they're not specifying like what requires you to not inform users about these changes. Like they're making this claim, but they can't back it up with anything. And so I feel like they're just full of shit and they're trying to make excuses for a bad decision like Slack did. Yeah, you are kind of dodging my question, but I answer what my opinion on this uh, moral dilemma. And I believe in code neutrality GitHub should be a completely neutral platform hosting everything and even malvars. If this is the price to pay for code neutrality, then then this is the price to pay. Dunna -na! Yeah. I, I kind of agree with that, but fine. All right. I guess you want to slide into the last thing, Jeanine? Well, you guys can go first or I don't know well, who wants no, to go first. You, you go first. Okay. So there has been a story that we haven't uh, really covered over the last couple of months because uh, I kind of wanted to wait for there to be more documentation available, but you've probably heard, especially in the last two or three days, that there is a lawsuit going on with Peter Todd, and I'm not going to really offer much comment on that. Um, what All I really want to do is point people to where those legal documents are available, because some of the people that are sharing them on social media have only been... Um, they, they've only been selectively sharing certain documents or not sharing them at all or sharing copies that they have made that don't also link to the entire case. So that is linked below. And what is also linked below is the, coincidentally, uh, my investigation that I've been doing for the past uh, more than three years now on GitHub. Um, it's on GitHub just because I need revision control, but obviously I don't trust it for censor censorship resistance at the moment, um, even though that's something I want. So I, I always, I make frequent copies, so no worries about losing it. But the investigation um, now, because of the, um, because of the context of the lawsuit that is related to the another investigation that I've been working on and it's mentioned in the lawsuit. And so what I've been doing is adding information and summaries about the lawsuit um, and what's going on to a portion of that. So you can find that um, linked in the description if you want to understand the context because a lot of the articles that I've seen published about this case have not provided any context. And I don't know if that's because they just don't want to provide context because they just don't, you know, they're writing for clicks and they don't have time to do that. Or they just aren't aware of the context and all of the people and events involved. So I felt like I wanted to do that. Um, 
in terms of including the lawsuit in the investigation. So that is now available. And so I hope it helps. Oh, I'm sorry, Janine, but I lost the pin to all of those links. So we can't uh, show any of this stuff to anybody who might want to see it and verify anything. That's really bad because I'm just looking at the link that the Janine Jenning created the GitHub MD file and holy shit, this is a masterpiece. I almost every single word is linked to somewhere and wow, I I, <laughs> I never seen a document like this. It's not uh, only yeah, links but archived. Really <laughs> sucks though, because no one no one can ever see it because I lost the pin to it. So okay, shouldn't we? Anybody that links anymore? It's uh, yeah. So you, you to understand that joke, you'll have to read the section about this. Um, yeah. So the reason everything is linked is, I mean, I think I've talked about this before, but I I do a thing called revision controlled journalism, where and also open source intelligence journalism, where um, I try to include as much source information as possible in the articles that I write so that um, not only do people not have to trust me when they're reading claims that I'm making or stuff that I'm summarizing in an article, but if I get anything wrong, it will be very easy to figure out why I got it wrong because I was sourcing from a particular place. Um, yeah, and that's why it looks like that. And because you love Microsoft. Okay. No. <laughs> this is a homework assignment, Digest viewers. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna make this actual homework to go read through this all and check the recent stuff so you can get my joke. Because it's a really, really hilarious joke if you don't get it. Yeah, and I, I make well the joke that I've been making recently is that I'm a journalist for people with long attention spans because um like literally a lot of the stuff that I write, it will take you hours to read. So it will take you hours to read. I'm just warning you ahead of time. It's still homework. All right, I guess. Katan, final thoughts it is. Uh, no, Para, I choose you. No, Para, no, Para. <clears throat> I just I just want to say that no I want to predict that Microsoft is going to open source GitHub one day. That's that's going to happen. Yes. You know this was Jenny's final thoughts, by the way. Uh, no. Unless you have another one. Well, my final thought to your final thought is that I I wish that. GitHub would just update, you know, their functionality in terms of Git because there's a lot of features missing that are important. My final thought to your final thought on my final thought is that there is a lot of great features being added every day on GitHub and I'm even checking them and I'm utilizing them all the time. You can go on go on uh, github github blog 
yes, the GitHub blog, and that's where you can follow on and 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 really really good things are out that uh, frequently, not like like last time when users had to came came out and create a GitHub repository, call it dear GitHub. Please, these are so stupid bugs. Why can't you fix it over five to 10 years since your existence? But Microsoft is fixing them. Yeah. My final thought to end all final thoughts is everybody come vacation in glorious Kazakhstan. Take many pictures, many video to send home to family with Facebook and your social media and make sure you log in and do it here. Bye-bye.